Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. This is podcast number 29. My name is Naaman Joker Anderson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone! A big thank you to our last guest, Dr Sarah Hayward-Small, who talked about cancer biology and mesothelioma research. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So, we're pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Jemima Reynolds. Uh, she'll be discussing her role at Trextock, a charity aimed at young adults who have a cancer diagnosis. Hi, Jemima. Hiya. Thank so, Jemima, you could you please tell us... That's okay. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, please you tell us a bit about your role and how you got there. So, I'm Head of Programmes and Engagement at Trextock. I originally started as um, in the health programs officer and I've worked my way up to being head of programs and I've got a background in healthcare. So Jemima, people won't necessarily have seen the fact that uh, you are wearing an amazing t-shirt, a full brand ambassador for Trekstock. So we love it when people come on uh, brand aware. Um, What what drove you to go into Trekstock? I think Trekstock is um, a fantastic charity um, because I, first of all, I think it um, supports people, a unique group of people who fall through the gaps on either side of not yet, not yet a fully fledged adult, but also not a teenager um, either. I also think it's a really cool charity. I think it recognises that cancer patients are so much more than a diagnosis. And it has a vibe that I think lots of uh, other charities don't. So in the past, we've worked some really cool people, um, such as One Direction, and have worked some great ambassadors in the past as well. So it's got a kind of young vibe about it as well. I like the terminology of use as well. So cool, vibe, that's very of that generation, isn't it? Or my generation, (laughs) if you want. I was going to say, you're not that old naming. <laughs> I have to remember when I'm around you, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I'm the old one. I'm the old one. I'm, I'm not hip or cool or anything. I mean, anymore. I'm nearly falling out um, of the, the track stop age out, range the, of the 20 to 40. So ne- nearly out this year. Nearly out this year. So can you tell us a little bit about what Trekstock is? Um, Because you've mentioned that it is obviously geared more around younger people. And I I was doing some research on the website and it claims that obviously there's 34 young adults in their 20s and 30s diagnosed with cancer every day, which is a shocking statistic. Um, But I think it is an underrepresented group in terms of the fact that, you know, typically when people think of cancer patients, they think of older, older people. Yes, I mean, we hear that a lot. And even people in our community say that they even hear that from other people who have cancer themselves who say, oh, you're too young to to get cancer. It is sadly, as I'm sure you guys know, it's on the increase in in 20 and 30 year olds. Um, And it is such a unique time and stage of your life to get cancer Um, at a time when I would, you know, when things are just getting going and it all stops. So I think they need tailored support and unique support that meets those unique needs that they have which are different to as you said the older generation who are who have more um, financial security that they might have more of a support network in terms of family and um, and children and also in terms of the needs that are just different in terms of the things that you want to do in your 20s and 30s are different when you get to 70 80. And you have some fantastic ambassadors as well, don't you, who are quite open about their experiences? Yes, we have an amazing uh, group of 18 young adult ambassadors from all different types of cancer um, and all different stages. So, um, And also people who are living with incurable yet treatable cancer. And I think it's really important to recognise that that everyone talks a lot about post-treatment, but there are a group of people that need to be supported who are living with treatment for the rest of their lives and we're really passionate about working with uh, that group of people as well you know and also those people who are childhood diagnosis of of cancer and the effects live on way past treatment ending in your 20s and 30s and they start to come out you know what's it like to uh, not be able to have children in your 20s and 30s because of your cancer diagnosis when you're a child as well and, and that's quite a key point as well isn't it? i think we're a lot better at diagnosing disease or cancer and people are living a lot longer as well with 
as you said, either incurable but treatable or they're living, you know, well with and beyond cancer. Um, and it's, yeah. you know, there is a lot of things to consider, especially in that kind of age group, uh, the age group that I'm still in, Joe, 20s. Um, and obviously the early 30s, where some of the more traditional cancers where you'd probably think breast cancer or um, would be more of a, an elderly disease and, or cancer in the past. But now there are sort of patients in their early yes. 30s who are also being diagnosed with that. Hugely. And I think, as you were saying, in terms of that kind of living post-finishing cancer treatment, um, what impact are the lives of those young people who, um, from financial insecurity through not being able to meet other people, particularly during the pandemic, you know, being totally isolated at home, but also those things that are um, not really thought about when you're um, older, such as, you know, physical activity, wanting to eat healthily, those those kind of things are such a key point for young people. Um, and that's what Trexox is about, ensuring that people can be as much them as they possibly can when going through cancer. I did notice um, on the website that it said that within within the group of um, patients that you've been working with, 89% of the young adults that you were talking to said that it was their mental health um, that also they needed support with. Is that something that Trekstock also aims to kind of support that age range with? Yes, so I would say um, in terms of psychological support, that, that also covers that sense of feeling really isolated because you're your friends don't get it, your, even even the cancer patients that you're surrounded by don't get it. So the psychological support is just meeting someone else who understands, and in the words that we say is um, meeting someone who gets it. Um, and through that, people feel less alone, like 91% of our community say that by coming to a meet-up online or in person back in the day, um, they felt uh, so much less isolated, they felt seen and understood that they found a place where they belong and I think it's support groups are great and hospitals offer those but actually as a young person to be surrounded by someone who's 50 60 makes it even more isolating for you um, by attending something that isn't aimed at your age group yeah I definitely noticed that when I was referring patients who were in their 20s you know the only support networks that were available at that time weren't necessarily for them or they could definitely still help provide some referral mechanisms and still cover some of the prehabilitation and um, rehabilitation aspects that we cover now but definitely the feedback that I got was that you know a patient would visit one of those support groups and go Joe they're not for yeah. me and um, I didn't identify with anyone there. I didn't know what to say or the conversations that I had because I don't have kids. Yeah. I'm not in a long time, long term career. You know, I've not got my life sorted out and planned. And um, it's very different, isn't it? It must be really difficult. Um, I think it's really from difficult. that aspect. And I suppose that's where Trek Stock comes into its own. It's. I think. Yeah, it does. It's, and I think it's that yeah, recognition it that, that that as I said, it's a key stage in age and it needs tailored support to to be able to support people uh, in a way. And I think peer support is such an important part of of actually feeling better and being able to move forward or, or take the next step. And along everything that we do is about connection. So every programme we offer has a element of connection. So always group sessions, our group exercise classes, um, a chance to meet other people who get to get active together. On different topics like our lifting the lid series our in panel events we had like 80 young people before the pandemic talking about menopause and we had six people on the panel and afterwards everyone just chatting about it and, you know there's nothing better than standing in a room um, and seeing the the power of peer support um, that Trekstock offers and you know a sense of lifeline and a sense of being seen and heard I, I mean I I love that part of my job just just kind of standing back and watching um, someone who's never met anyone before, who's got cancer and is the same age, meeting someone for the first time. It, it, I mean, there's nothing. I think it's something that we see within our roles probably as well, Joe. is usually the waiting room. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes machines can be a bit delayed, so they'll all have a bit of banter with each other. I know it's not the same age group, but quite a few prostate patients I've mm -hmm. come across 
they'll all so Jemima, if you don't know, some prostate patients have to have bowel or bladder prep for their treatments, but they'll all be around the water dispenser chatting away, talking about things and that kind of camaraderie. It's quite nice to see. <laughs> It's, I mean, that looks lovely. Yeah, lovely part of your job, actually, as well. Getting to know patients, right? You know, really getting to yeah. know them. And um, I think we were talking earlier about the fact that it's so important to recognise those important roles that radiographers can play, not just in giving treatment, but also supporting and signposting. And we never paid you to say any of that, did we? We absolutely... You know, we did not feed her any lines to say as part of the podcast at all. But yeah, it is. And I I know we say it quite a lot on the podcast, but we're underutilised. I say it all the time, but, you know, we are really privileged to be able to have, you know, time with cancer patients over a long period of weeks, um, you know, up to eight weeks in some circumstances. So we are acutely equipped to be able to kind of have those really good, relationships with our patients and also access them in terms of offering referral so Jemima you know as a therapeutic radiographer or a diagnostic radio or anyone as part of the cancer pathway how can they get involved in Trekstock or maybe even support patients in being referred so can I take it back a little step just in in terms of um at last I was part of a steering group for NHS England and at last they are, have put some recommendations to the National Cancer Board and one of them is AHPs being supported to be able to offer psychological support to patients and being utilised to be able to be better at signposting. And I literally banged that drum for about two months. Um, and so that's really exciting So uh, for it to be recognised and to put you know support into that so people can do it well. Um, in terms of referring people for the physical activity program that we run so someone can do our renew program which is our eight week exercise program online at the moment um, small groups of six um, you can refer a patient um, who is in treatment through our website and that has to be completed by a medical professional um, and that is a comprehensive uh, pre-questionnaire asking everything from your mental health all the way through to what treatment you've had to activity levels etc etc but also I think what's really important is just telling people about Trekstock that this exists and that they're not alone and that they can connect with other people there are websites full of videos on different topics from that that you know you can pick and choose what you need at different points in your cancer um diagnosis and treatment and also if you if you're in not in treatment anymore then you can also use our physical activity program after you finish as well so the recognition i suppose of radiographers is that they can signpost to our services and they can talk to to their patients about what we do but also to 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 kind of say to patients that they can use them and pick and choose what they want at that time because each cancer patient is different and they're a person person form yeah and i think on your so helping them to work out what matters to them. i think that's really important though isn't it because it, we talk about personalized care or person-centered care quite a lot now a lot more than before and it really is just very simple just to ask the patients what they want um to begin with yeah i know um on your website you know from everything to keeping active um if that's important to you then how a radiographer can help you do that you know um, there we have Pilates, we have our Renew program, um, and it's been incredible to have uh, the feedback that we've had. Um, if people want evidence, it's uh, in the Journal of Supportive Care, in Cancer Care um, Journal, um, the evaluation. So if people want to read it or, or easier, it's all summarised on. And we can link link that in as well um, to the podcast. So and um, afterwards, people can click into it and have a read. That'd be really good. Um, I think on your website, I'm trying. Seventy-three percent of people with a cancer diagnosis who got in touch, they said they needed help with the exercise. So obviously, you've got the classes and stuff. Is there? Is it all group based, or if if it's a one-to-one -one peer support as well, as you said? 
So it's um, it's group based, but if they've got um, really complex needs, and we do, then we do offer one to one. We do a six week one to one um, for patients that are very complex, and we feel that aren't right to exercise in a group. But to give a kind of safety element, we we triage every patient who fills out a pre questionnaire and referral. And then we go on to them to be triaged by one of our level four cancer rehab trainers to decide whether they're safe to exercise in the group. Um, and then he groups them uh, in terms of acti similar activity levels and where possible similar diagnosis um, and similar stage of, of treatment. And um, in terms of the complex ones, that's a decision that he makes uh, based on the information that we get. But I think someone who goes through the one-to-one, -one, it's great, but I think the, the ability to be able to connect um, with other people when you're doing exercise and it's real motivation. We find that like lots of people say that the reason that they, they want to do the class is the opportunity to connect with someone else at the same time as getting active. Um, and I think that is just such an important part of, I don't know about you, but I find getting active with a friend and going out and doing a run is far more fun than, than to do it on my own. And we, we found that as well during the pandemic, how important it was for people's mental health, fatigue levels, but uh, severity of symptoms, but, you know, really about mental health during that time when deep isolation was happening. I think as well, obviously we're talking about sort of more advanced stage disease earlier but <clears throat> there was some research that came out I think it was November so last year um, I have to remember it's 2022 now so November 2021 just talking about how patients with bone metastases which something I think even from when I was studying was you shouldn't really be doing too much exercise but I know now it's being pushed more that actually evidence-based says mm -hmm. exactly as you just said Jemima that you know you need the safety features of course but the best answer to fatigue is exercise and I know from my own experience with mental health that actually going for a run even if I don't want to um, it really makes you feel better and that community element's lovely to hear and you know having a, a level four cancer rehab instructor as well it's quite nice to hear. Um, it's one of our young adult ambassadors uh, has uh, bone uh, metastatic breast cancer and um, has um, problems with her spine and she uses a cross trainer and she does yoga and she says it's so important to to stabilize her spine like to keep her core strong means that that she is keeping her spine in the in the places where it is um not as strong it's it she's giving it a scaffolding to to be able to hold up under what she wants to continue to do and i think there is so much misconception i and it's wonderful to hear that you know that it combats fatigue um but there is still a lack sorry i'm banging on here but a lack of understanding health in cancer that the exercise actually reduces fatigue it improves um everything from uh, sleep, uh, mental, sleep health, mental health, severity of symptoms, severity of reduces recurrence in 50% in, I think it's three types of cancer now. No longer is there the view no that you should sit and not do anything. And, not and I think that message, I think that sorry, message, I am getting very passionate here, but that message needs to get out there. Like we, you know, staying sedentary when you are going through cancer, not only is it bad for your mental health, but it's also really bad for other risk factors as well. So yeah, I was, I was going to say that, Jemima, if you're dealing with that age group, essentially you will find, won't you, you know, that, you know, if we're aiming to cure, you don't want them to almost have been affected by their cancer to such an extent become sedentary then never exactly. get back into exercise exactly. again and then suffer from you know cardiorespiratory issues later exactly. on or other exactly. pathologies that essentially are going to affect their quality of life so i do really think that whole prehabilitation rehabilitation agenda is so important i mean the prehab is something that we offer as well you know someone who needs to get fit pre-surgery um but also that sense of there's more and more research. I was at a conference the other day which talked about, you know, cardiac 
uh, cardiotoxicity from from um, chemo, and the fact that one of the key things to help that and help cardiac function is to um, exercise, is to improve the ventricular function through exercise, and um, you know it's a multi dis uh, multi focused way of supporting someone with cancer, and it should be often from the point of diagnosis. And you know, radiographers can can do that. You know, um, the fact that radi radiotherapy causes fatigue, right? I'm not an expert. I'm asking you guys. It causes it causes fatigue. It causes skin changes, body image changes, and all of those can be helped with exercise. And to be able to use those people who are talking to be like you and your teams to be able to talk to people about exercise and, and saying it is possible, you can do it. You know, every patient should be told that and should be told that it can help them and that, that there is support out there. And yeah, I just feel it's, it, people feel debilitated by the effects that radiotherapy brings to their lives and then they stop um, and they feel exhausted. But actually if a message is like, yes, you'll feel fatigued, but what you can do to combat it is X, Y, and Z. Pacing works, exercising works. You know, using your teams more. Um, you know, they've got I think so many. It's a theme that we've we've both Joe and I have spoken about quite a lot with a few previous guests and sort of patients who've said that shared their stories. So about making every conversation count, basically. So I mean, for people listening, if you know about radiotherapy, if you don't, you have a quite a long maze to get into the radiotherapy room. I know I remember when I was on the treatment floor, that would be the time not just to ask the patient how they are, but, you know, what are you doing to help? Is there something on your mind? Okay, have you tried, yeah. you know, maybe going for a walk, even if it's just around, you know, literally to the end of the road and back, that's enough. But obviously for some patients who are going through chemotherapy, it could be that actually getting out of bed, going to the toilet, that's the most exercise they've done because that's all they can do. But that's enough, exactly as you say. Uh, I'm exactly the same as you, Joe. I'm very passionate about exercise. It's it's so simple for some patients that setting a goal of literally getting out of bed putting slippers on going to the kitchen and back that's a lot but that's one step the next step could be going to kitchen and back twice or going to the toilet kitchen living room back and then it will keep building up keep building up and um obviously a charity that i'm an ambassador for is move charity and they have 5k away so you do a 5k it you know you can crawl it if you want to you don't have to run it you don't have to sprint it it's how you want to do it but it is I think we're getting better as therapeutic radiographers we realise that actually a lot of us have a lot of, a lot more knowledge than we think. So even if it's from your own life, there's lots of people who run or do exercise, but that knowledge you have in your personal life, you can bring that to a patient. So telling a patient, well, actually, if you get up early, go for a walk, that, that's all it's about. Um, exactly. It doesn't have to be a marathon every time. But also, I think it's so important to recognise that that healthcare professionals need to empower patients rather than think about what my body's been through and what it's going through, but what it can do. And, you know, we have patients who are going through chemotherapy and radiotherapy doing our Renew programme. And it's unbelievable, you know, they couldn't even walk, um, as you said, to go and make a cup of tea. And now they're doing three times exercise a week. You know, it's that yeah. sense of what is possible. I, I just think it's such an important message is that that when you're talking about you know 5k your way or renew or our program renew it's it's the way you deliver it isn't it rather than saying here's the eight week exercise program off you go go and do it but it's that sense of saying to them you know each exercise is given different um, modifications you start by building very very slowly in the program doing what you can listening to your body being in tune with how amazing your body is now you know getting the faith back in your body that, that it can support you to get through treatment it can support you post treatment and i just think that messaging could be really powerful a positive message of how amazing your body is rather than what it's done to destroy you yeah and i firmly believe as well that you know talking to cancer patients that some people go through their cancer journey and it changes you as a person once you've had cancer, psychologically, physically. And I definitely think that there is an opportunity for people to use 
their cancer journey to make those lifestyle changes that maybe they'd not done previously. We're all living longer. There's more carcinogens in our environment. So actually, it is beneficial to maybe start to live a healthier lifestyle um, to try and eradicate some of those factors that could potentially, you know, for a 20-year-old who suffers from a primary cancer, they could then go on to develop cancer in their 60s or 70s that was totally unrelated to their primary cancer. So I think it is important that we do kind of ensure that as we're able to make treatment more curative, that we are still being able to help patients make lifestyle choices that will improve the quality of their life moving forwards. And I know from role modelling you know, it's really important for future generations, you know, when they go on to have children or how they socialise with their friends or family um, as they go on through their own lives, they will take that with them. Um, And that obviously has a a positive impact on everyone in society and the communities that they live in. I also think that if we've got one and two of us can be diagnosed with cancer and we're going to survive it, but at what cost to our mental and physical health? And we yeah. need, to, uh, in terms of therapeutic radiographers, you know, what can you do to ensure that those issues that your patients are going through, that rather than feeling there's nothing that can be done, um, being able to equip them with the information or the whereabouts. So, for instance, you know, 25% of our community say that they want support with menopause because no one talks about it. Yeah. No one talks about the fact that treatment you're left you've survived cancer but you're going through early menopause at 25 or you know set uh, impact on your sex life you know having radio i'm i'm talking to you guys in terms of not knowing the answer to this but pelvic radio is that right pelvic yeah that's correct yeah um causes um problems when it comes to sex and if, or even um different types of radiotherapy and chemotherapy but, you know, rather than but, saying, you know, oh, you won't, saying, oh, there are options. There are and it's options. about, you know, there yeah. are things that can be done. And I think it's about knowing that there are options, I think is one of the most important things that can be told to patients. Because if I think about someone yeah. like Balbe, who I love, Deb's big shout out. Um, oh, yeah, we're all big fans here. All big ba- fans. We love you, Debs. Yeah, I'm, Jemima, you've got to speak to her. We want to get her on. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. But one of the things she says, you know, when there are options, and that's hope. You know, these young people have their whole lives ahead of them if they've survived cancer. Yeah. So therefore, help them to live it. One of the shocking statistics that I read on your website, which I think shocked me the most, being a healthcare professional, was that 93% of the patients that you were talking to didn't have their healthcare team discuss the impact of treatment on sex. In their 20s and 30s, how have we not addressed? Like, I know it happens. um, I'm fully aware it happens with, with patients, but specifically 20s and 30s I had a lot of sex in my 20s yeah. uh <laughs> thank you what what an, uh, thank you. yeah <laughs> my students will love listening to this I'm very open um but nice obviously that's nice the yeah I've got a very healthy sex life it's great to be able to shout that on a podcast but it is really important that we we break down some of these barriers you know, it's important to talk about and it, it does frustrate me when these conversations aren't being had, especially with people who are in their prime physical fitness in terms of their sexual life. And you just think it's, you know, it has such detrimental effects, I think, personally, on a lot more than just not having sex. It's around intimacy, isn't it? It's around relationships. Um, and I know lots of cancer patients in their 20s who didn't end up staying with their partners because of the effects yeah. of of going through cancer i think there's two things there and i think it's I think such an important things. point is that that sex is an add-on so it's like you've survived cancer um you you know you're gonna have this this and this but no one talks to you as i said no one gives you an option of you know how do you get back in touch with your body how do you we've just done lifting the lid on sex 
which is available on YouTube channel, um, which is basically, you know, communication. It's about learning to have those difficult conversations with your partner or lube. Let's just talk lube, you know, like actually that can vaginal estrogen, lube and communication. Jemima, you Liz, Liz bangs on about yes. the uh, Liz O'Riordan. Yes. She came on the podcast. She she said we should offer lube out to all our patients. I mean, I, I actually would <laughs> I agree, mean, I would I, agree I, with I this. You know, like, actually, that could transform lives. That actually the, the fact that people can continue to have sex um, in a way and be able to have difficult conversations. I think healthcare professionals, are, you know, having been one myself, there is a lack of time, lack of education, but also, let's just be honest, people are embarrassed. It's a taboo. Sex is still a taboo in our society, so therefore, if the patient doesn't bring it up, then oh, I'm not going to talk about it, am I? I'm not going. I'm not going to talk about it. It shouldn't be on. It, the owner shouldn't be on a, on a patient to bring up something. It should be a healthcare professional sees sex as an important part of life, and therefore it should be talked about um, in a way that's just kind of natural. Like I think people want to have the option. It does, don't they? and. I think it's, it's coming to the everything. point now. I think we've talked about this in quite a few podcasts that with anything around all this health education, if you want, whether it's around sex or diet or exercise, that I don't like the excuse of not having enough time. That's fine, but I don't think it's always fair because as you said earlier, John, it's about signposting. So just because you're you know, you're a student, you're a newly qualified healthcare professional, you might not know enough about it. You might feel uncomfortable, but it's also okay to be honest with the patient and say, look, I'm really sorry. I don't know enough about this, but I actually do know somewhere I can signpost you to. Yeah. So obviously knowing that you've got your cancer, oh, sorry, the, the sex and cancer and intimacy um, stuff on YouTube, for example, yeah, that's something really good to point towards. Or we've, you know, we've had Samantha Evans on, um, who likes to call herself the lube queen, as you've already talked about lube. <laughs> so, yeah. She's, she's a on very honest, very you know, panel. amazing person. But panel, exactly so, as yeah, she's yeah. also pointed out and you've pointed out, it is you know you can signpost on that that's nothing you're not being a worse healthcare professional because you don't know enough sometimes you, you don't know everything it is about signposting on yeah and if you feel embarrassed that's okay you know like yeah maybe be embarrassed together with the patient and that's absolutely fine um but at <laughs> least go there at least, sorry excuse excuse the pun but um at, you know at, at least at least bring it up um you just brought up nutrition and it's something that I'm really passionate about in terms of in terms of radiotherapy how does it does it affect your digestion does it affect your um can it affect the way your depends on the treatment you, site you to some I presume um, sites you wouldn't feel it so if it's anywhere near the food pipe or the esophagus sometimes that can happen or some of the abdominal structures some of the pelvic radiotherapies as well they can um doesn't always happen usually some of the nausea is actually in conjunction with another therapy so if they're having for example for breast patients herceptin injections or chemotherapy obviously at the same time yeah. or it could just be as a result of so say for head and neck patients if they're getting secretions and that can sometimes cause a bit of nausea or lack of saliva there's, there's loads of different things as i know joe will, will be very happy to talk about this as you lecture about this all the time but it is it's very specific to a patient some patients can fly through some of the toughest treatments with no side effects, but sometimes you don't know why, but sometimes it could be it's they're following all the advice they give them or, you know, that, yeah, they just don't get nausea. Um, but it's not a specific thing from each radiotherapy treatment. In, in terms of obviously for different types of cancer, but one of the things that we find when it comes to nutrition is that I'm not slating your dietitian um, colleagues, but there is still a kind of viewpoint that, you know, you lose weight during chemo, you, you don't have an appetite because you're going through treatment. So eat what you want, when you want. Um, but actually, these young people, if they hadn't had cancer, you know, this age group are really about, well, up to a point, healthy eating and passionate about physical activity and body image, really, this age group. And so our nutrition resource is an opportunity for people to, to look at ways to keep the weight on during chemo or going through radiotherapy, coping with um, appetite changes in a healthy way. How much information, so if, if a patient was talking to you guys about 
nutrition because you know dietitians don't need to be involved in if they started saying you know what are your thoughts on I don't know the alkaline yeah. diet or yeah. would they talk to you about that kind of definitely um, I've had patients talk to me about cutting sugar out because I think it starves the cancer <laughs> we get all sorts um, but it usually stems from what they've read online yeah. So in my role in treatment review, I would be one-to-one with the patient so that I would always ask the question. So mm-hmm. usually, I mean, it's different everywhere, but I have a template or prompts if you want. So things I want to ask, diet is always one of them. Um, so asking quite specific, what are they eating? So for some cancer groups, uh, so sites, sorry, it's like a head and neck patient, it's really important to find out what they're eating to make sure they're getting all the calories and whether it's soft diet, what texture it is. So I think for us, we're now maybe having to adapt, Joe. You might mm-hmm. agree that actually yes dietitians are there but each department each center each trust will have their own i think is what's called like a malnutrition tool so it could be they have to hit a specific mark and bear in mind cancer one of the side effects just of having cancer is a loss of appetite so that that's already a baseline that could be say a score one out of five a score two could be or they've lost x amount of weight so i think you know we talk about baseline data prehab rehab and everything but it's really important for some groups to monitor their weight every week and if you can see even like a kilo lost, but some head and neck patients can lose five kilos in a week. It's it's quite scary to see how quick it can be and they could still be having high calorie drinks all the time. But sometimes it's really difficult to keep on top of. But I think for us as therapeutic radiographers, we, every patient will ask you, you know, they might say, yeah, I'm not feeling very hungry um, or I haven't really eaten or I'm feeling tired. And that's the opportunity to get in the treatment room or in the corridor or just anywhere just to say, okay, well, Here's again signposting. That's what I usually go back to, whether it's an NHS one or from any charities. It's always about eating little and often. Um, I think, Joe, this is something I know I've watched one of your lectures you bang on about to t- tell patients as well. So, we've got on, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think as well, it is about um, because as therapeutic radiographers, we often see patients exposed so we are a primary care health professional that is there almost seeing a patient lose weight in front of our eyes Um, and obviously you know quite a lot of the time you do have continuity of care so you get to see patients over the weeks and you know if a patient loses weight very dramatically it can affect the treatment so we have to go back to replanning repositioning so we we definitely would not want patients to lose weight but as you've said Jemima it is about nutrition and not necessarily weight um and I think that's really important I think sometimes and I talk about this from my own personal experiences is you get the two confused you know a skinny person isn't necessarily healthy um, so I think nutrition is absolutely key and it's great to see that you're kind of addressing that. And again, an opportunity to educate people in their 20s who may never have had that education before getting cancer. I mean, our, I'm really proud of our booklet because it is giving people the information, not just about, you know, how to cope with nausea, how to cope with constipation, diarrhea, but it actually, I don't know if you guys have looked at it, but it basically gives those myths so it talks about the um i can never remember the effect the sugar the sugar um why people think that sugar feeds cancer um and explains all the science where it all comes from and and it it, rather than saying don't don't believe that sugar causes cancer it explains in a very easy way where these myths come from um because they are basically um exploiting people's um you know pseudoscience isn't it at the end of the day and it's about kind of saying to people if they want to go vegan let's say because they think that's better for you as a cancer patient you need to keep up x y and z um you need to take this this and this or you need to eat these certain things so you stay healthy while going through treatment or we talk about um dairy and where all that comes from the view that it causes uh, breast cancer you know it can cause recurrence of breast cancer or soy so it, it basically unpacks the science um and says you know three people were asked in this trial or you know it basically gives the information that's easy to understand for people to to make what people say to us is it makes informed decisions and makes them realize that actually as you say um that everything in moderation is is 
what needs to, to have a balanced diet um, to ensure that you're getting the right nutrients and knowing that, that supplements aren't necessarily needed unless you're they're prescribed by, by a dietitian or your oncologist. So I think it's about having those conversations and making people feel that they don't that you don't dismiss them, that you actually hear them when it, they're asking those questions about sugar or... Because they'll just go and do it anyway. You know, why not have the conversation and explain it to them rather than having things happen behind closed doors such as, you know, juicing, etc., etc. Have those conversations, um, listen to them and understand what, why people are asking those. So Jemima, what's next for Trekstock? What what's coming up? What other celebrities have you got on to help promote your message? Um, well, yeah, we're working. We have an amazing um, arm of our charity, which we're really really proud of. That's called Merch for Good, um, which are exclusive band T-shirts designed by um, artists bespoke for Trekstock. Um, and you can get them on our website from everything I'm gonna this is um, everything everything the foals um, oh, uh, Bastille um, idols and watch this space there's more coming soon um, we have the launch of our new menopause program which is um, on the 18th of January which is um, every week has a different expert come and talk and an opportunity to connect with other people who understand what it's like to have menopause um, early. And so it's all about peer support and going on that journey together. Um, and that's got everyone from uh, Anise Mukherjee, Sam Evans, uh, Dr. Caroline Lovett, who's a psychosexual expert, uh, Louise Newson, um, and Philippa Gay. Um, so, that's for five weeks and then we also have our exercise program that is open all the time so it's just rolling um and the other thing that we have are bringing in is yoga classes and we also have pilates classes and we have opportunities for people to meet each other um online um in different ways so we do a series called what i wish i'd known which are everything and we're doing one on radiotherapy so i'm going to get in touch with you guys um about that which is you know what are the things that you wish you'd known when you were going through it that you can pass back to the people who are coming up behind you that all sounds absolutely amazing and um really inspirational in terms of what you're doing for this category of patients um can i just ask if i was a patient and i was signing up to one of the physical activity um courses that you've got do you what do you do do you kind of do it all remotely is it via zoom so how does it work yeah so you'd sign up yeah, to so the program you fill out a comprehensive pre-questionnaire and if you're in treatment it would be a referral form and then you'd get an email from us um, welcoming you we send you a booklet um, where you can log your goals and what you want to achieve um, then you're introduced to your trainer and you are you get to choose the day of the week and times that work for you so on the pre-questionnaire you get an opportunity to do that then you're grouped into a small little group you all meet each other um, on the first day you get welcome to the um, level four cancer rehab trainer on zoom and then the first session is an introduction to what the course is going to be a chance to chat to one another and we start with a small fit test, which is an opportunity. This age group love a bit of competition with themselves. So um, they like to have a baseline of how well they're doing. And um, it's a real sense. It's not a sense of like, oh, you can't even do. It's on your own, in your house. You know how many, you write it down. And, it's an, and then one at the midpoint and then at the end of the eight weeks as well. So you have 15 minutes at the beginning to chat to one of the 45 minutes um, session, which is cardio, flexibility and strength training. We don't use weights. We use everything in the house. So we use everything from water bottles to laundry detergent, um, packs of books. And every, every exercise has a modification to it. So if you, the trainer knows what their group has, and what's going on with each person 
and then uh, another 15 minutes at the end to be able to chat to one another that's brilliant and then um, so join the next week definitely <laughs> does that answer your question joe <laughs> yeah thank you no honestly but it is brilliant because i'm just thinking if if you've got patients listening or even healthcare professionals it's great for them to be able to say this is what it is yeah. um because sometimes yeah. i think that referral is fine but if you're able to kind of sell it or get them excited yeah. about potentially following that referral up, it's it's really important, isn't it? And they can also head to our website and see all the quotes from people who have said what it's about, what impact it's had on their lives. And one of the things I think is really important to say is it's not just exercise. It, as you said, it changes lifestyle. But also through that, people feel empowered to make other changes to their life. So it gives them a sense of um, achievement. And I think, you know, cancer's taken a lot of those things that you usually achieve at that yeah, age. It's almost and like so trying to get, well, we always say the cliche of getting back to a know, new normal, have a um, I think, to our patients. And that, as you said, it's about empowering and it's, yeah, it's really nice to hear. Yeah. Thank you. We do actually find quite a lot of... Um, our students have had cancer previously um, and that's what's inspired them to want to give back and go into that um, career pathway because they are able to kind of um, support other patients using their experiences and I always think that's really 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 powerful and I know when um, Nicola, Nicola Lewis who's on Twitter she was one of our students and don't worry I did ask her before mentioning the name um, but she did some amazing work throughout her whole degree program and I know she wrote a blog um, and a piece specifically for Radiotherapy UK talking about her experiences and everything you've said Jemima resonates with her going through paediatric cancer but she still now has long-term side effects from cancer and talks about them quite openly. Um, and I think it is really important having that peer support network and charities that you're able to then go back to when you've long since been discharged from yeah. your oncology team. And I think what you said is, uh, is it Nicola? Is that what you said? Um, she, you know, her knowing what it's like to be in the shoes of a patient means that she knows exactly what is what they actually need or what are the things that are important to them. And, you know, Liz O'Ryden, as we were talking about, would say that when she was a breast cancer surgeon, she had, she said, oh, it might hurt or you might experience this. And then she lived it. And she's like, I am, she's, you know, she publicly apologised to her patients because she didn't get it. She didn't get it at all. And I can safely say that I haven't had cancer, so I don't get it. But I work really closely with young adult ambassadors and the What I Wish I'd Known programme is about not just equipping young people to, to know what questions to ask their healthcare professionals. It's about saying to healthcare professionals, these are the things that you are missing, that you're not talking to your patients about. And we really want you to do that. These are the things that we really want you to pass back to the patients behind us so that they have a better experience. And... And, you know, for instance, the podcast Afterthoughts, which is what we um, we sponsor, is all about stories. And we had a healthcare professional just talking the other day about saying that, you know, it's fascinating listening to that because there are things on there that they take for granted. You know, I remember a patient saying to me that when he was having radiotherapy, that, um, that he had to, um, had to have his balls taped out the way. Um, and it, and he said when the worst bit of that was having the tape ripped off because he said he now has huge respect for people who, you know, women who have waxing because no one prepared, prepared him for how painful it was each time he had to go through that. And, you know, that's always stuck with me because, you know, if he could pass that on to another guy, prepare yourself for the tape coming off, you know, like all the radiotherapists can say that. I just, I just think that's gold, isn't it? I think it's cruel that no one told him to shave beforehand. <laughs> I think whoever did that and just ripped that tape off, 
Shame on them. No pun intended as well. Yeah. Was that so, you know, all those little nuggets that, that No pun intended there either with the nuggets. We are trying to um, <laughs> make a I've never had a waxing, but... What was that? Yeah. <laughs> I've never never waxed, <laughs> but I can imagine how painful that would be. Yeah, so end cringe, on balls but, and um, <laughs> is an open book anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We've learned a lot about you both uh, this evening. Well, Jemima, I know you've And welcome to Rad Chat. So, for example, <laughs> telling patients you're going to be ripping tape off their balls. Yes. Um, what other things for any patients, healthcare professional? Uh, it's only you, Jemima, we're going to remember for that. <laughs> Please don't remember track stop for that. <laughs> what did I just listen to? <laughs> Put that on our Instagram, that would be great. Thank so, you. <laughs> Apart from that, and on. that Joe had a lot of sex in her twenties. What other tips and <laughs> things Sorry, have you got? We've had a very open conversation here. Apart from that, and that Joe had a lot. What other top tips would I say? I think the most important thing is to ask your patient what matters Perfect. them. And to bring up the difficult conversation, have the difficult conversation. Definitely. And we'll make sure, obviously, lots of the things that we discuss in some of the research, um, including the nutrition booklet, which I love, by the way, um, (laughs) we'll we'll definitely link it with the podcast. So whenever people are listening, they can kind of go into it. And with the CPD points that we'll have, um, that will help as well for people to reflect. But um, yeah, I also think that if people want resources to go to our, we've just produced a new um, resource to give out to patients, which is a small That'd business be fantastic. card. Yeah, thank you so much. On, on um, but yeah, so, so thank you to everyone for listening to Rad Chat today. Um, it's been very insightful and uh, lots of laughs. Learned more and more about Joe every time we chat. Um, so yeah, your hosts today have been Damon <laughs> Jorka Anderson and the lovely Joe McNamara. A huge thank you again to our guest, Jemima Reynolds. And remember, it wasn't Trexock, it was her who said, don't rip off the tape from your patient's balls. <laughs> but head over to our YouTube page just to see the live recording for the podcast. Um, and if you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, uh, please consider the reflective questions that we've posted alongside uh, with the resources and literature that we've discussed. So yeah, so to receive your accredited CPT digital badge, please complete the Google form linked to the podcast. Um, so our next guest to feature will be uh, June Davis, who will be discussing her role at Macmillan, uh, prehabilitation, rehabilitation and personalised care. Um, so thank you everyone for listening um, and take care. Bye everyone. Bye.